Welcome to another edition of Mormonland. I'm Dave Noyce, and I oversee our faith coverage. I'm joined again by senior religion reporter Peggy Fletcher Stack. Hi, Peggy. Hi, Dave. Many gay Mormons have a story about their experience in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Though all, all the narratives stand on their own, most involve these members recognizing their attractions, trying to reconcile what they were feeling with what the Utah-based faith is teaching about homosexuality, namely that it is not a sin, just acting on it is, coming out, what they hope for the future, and how their family and friends respond. Matthew Gong, who works in artificial intelligence, joins us today via Zoom from Seattle, the Seattle area to talk about his journey. Matt, welcome. Thank you for having me. We're glad to have you. Um, so, to, Matt, tell us a bit of what it was like growing up in your family. So I'm the youngest of four boys. I have three older brothers. Um, my family is... Chinese, American, uh, and Mormon. And so I grew up with kind of these dual cultures that had interesting interactions. So you have some of the stoicism of uh, the LDS faith, faith mixed with the stoicism of kind of the filial piety of, of Chinese culture. And that compounding of cultures had some interesting dynamics with the siblings. Um, and so we would kind of have ri sibling rivalries in ways that I, I don't know how uh, universal those are. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so Matt, when did you first know you were gay and how did it affect you? So I, I probably should have known a lot sooner than I actually came out to myself. Uh, there, all the signs were there. I was super nice to certain young men when I was a young man and I had uh, what were obviously crushes on some people around me, but didn't realize it till later. Um, so I think I should have known when I was like, seven or eight that I was different, but I didn't really come out to myself until I was about 19. Um, I didn't let myself use the words to describe myself like I am gay or I am queer until I was 19. So who did you feel when you, when you acknowledge that to yourself, who's the first person you told and uh, how did that person or persons respond? So I was at BYU. Uh, I was dealing with some major uh, depression. I had been suicidal, probably actively was suicidal when I came out. Um, and I came out kind of in the same breath as my roommate asking me what was wrong. Um, and so it was, it was my college roommate, a good friend. We still keep in contact. And he just sort of didn't make a big deal about it. And was just like, I love you, man. A very bro-y way of approaching it. And that was kind of what I needed to diffuse it at the time. And, uh, what year was that, Matt? About 2011, I believe. Okay. Possibly okay. 2012. Okay. Did you tell anyone else at that time? Uh, there was a short gap, and then I told the rest of my roommates. I waited a year before telling my family or my immediate family. My cousin was my roommate at the time, uh, apartment mate at the time. And so when I told the whole apartment, um, like a week after I'd come out to the first roommate, then everyone there knew. Um, but I didn't tell my immediate family for another 14 months. And your other roommates, they were, nobody called you to repentance or anything like that? Or I think no one was like harsh about it. People, they tried to relate. And one roommate was like, oh, you know, I know what it's like to have to sacrifice things for the church. I gave up sports on Sunday. So you can give up, you know, companionship <laughs> and love in your life too. Uh, not quite equal, equal sacrifices. Yeah, well-intentioned, but a little bit misplaced. <laughs> yes. So um, 
When did you tell your family? So I, I had served, I started an LDS mission, uh, and I got to my one year mark, which also coincided with my birthday. And, uh, as a gift to myself, I wrote each of my family members a letter and I said, you are the like dear family member. You are the first or fourth or fifth, whatever order they were member to find out. I'm telling you because the reason why I'm gay. I plan on staying on my mission and you have a year to figure it out before I come home because I'd like to make sure I have a home to come home to. And then just kind of sent the emails off and waited. Um, It also was at the same time we got a new mission president and I was helping him get acclimated to the office in the field. And he walks in shortly after I hit send on these emails and he's like, Elder Gong, you seem like a little bit out of sorts. What's wrong? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm just kind of nervous about family stuff at home. And he goes on this spiel about how, you know, you know, we're in the mission field. You have to focus on the work. And, you know, just because there's something at home is like, is it a girl? And I was like, no, not exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I just came out to my family and I don't know if I get to go home. (sighs) And then we had a really good conversation about it. Um, He was actually one of the better priesthood leaders I've interacted with when it comes to coming out and stuff. And so I'm really grateful to him for being just kind of willing to listen. Where were you? I was in England, London South, uh, which is like the bottom third of England minus a little bit on the Eastern coast. And was he American? Yeah, he was uh, from St. George. Um, and, or I guess he grew up in Idaho on a farm, which came into play a lot during his talks where he talked a lot about farm life. Um, I related <laughs> that to the gospel, but he, he had spent most of his career in Salt Lake and St. George. And so he'd very Utah. So how did your family respond to those emails? Uh, the order they received them, my first brother, Christopher, who I messaged first because he was the one who I had the, who I thought would have the best response was just immediately like, I don't really know what entirely all of this means, but like, I'm here for you. I love you. Like we're family. Uh, And a similar response going through all of them. Like nobody was, I think that the most prevalent emotion was confusion. People just didn't really know what to do. I think this came out of left field. Um, I am straight passing to a lot of people. And so no one really thought that I would be the gay kid. So so they were surprised because, you know, many, like you say, many, uh, many, a number of, of gay people who come out to their family, their families aren't surprised. They sort of saw it or, or wondered or, or felt that. I mean, is it true that they were surprised then? Oh, like. yeah. No, very yeah. much so. Um, okay. I, I had a couple of friends who I had to come out to like multiple times because I thought I was joking the first few times. <laughs> oh, jeez. <God. laughs> oh, <laughs> so, so, Matt, given, given that your father was Garrett Gong, who's an apostle in the church, um, do you feel like you shoulder an extra burden in the LGBT community? I mean, how difficult is it for you to navigate that? So I don't, I don't think that there's really much of a difference except for it happens more publicly. Um, I don't think it gives me any special credence or, or gives any special Uh, credence to my voice or story but what i i do hope people take from the interactions that they they see are uh for a long time in the church we've had a lot of models or a lot of uh examples or, or narratives of general authorities giving talks about how to treat 
LGBTQ or people who are uh, individuals or people who are, are different. And a lot of those, those narratives that we get are a little bit older and come from Elder Packer or Elder Oaks or um, aren't always the most welcoming or loving. Um, my friends who came out, I remember them talking about some of the things that their families would do and the justifications they gave are, well, this is what I learned from these talks. And they just, it wasn't that they were trying to be hateful or, or hurtful. They just didn't have any other uh, ideas of what you could do. Like the, just kind of a failure of imagination to see what it could be like to love your kid and stay Mormon. And so even though I think my story is pretty boring, it's pretty normal, right? Um, I came out, my dad didn't reject me. We have a complicated but good relationship. Um, if that's the only thing people can take away from the story, I think the specifics are kind of pointless because that's a really powerful counterexample to all of the, well, if your child brings home their partner, you shouldn't let them under your roof that we've been living with for decades now. Yeah. So uh, forgive me. I'm going to ask one more question along this line a little bit. How did you feel when your dad was made an apostle? Um, did that, you said an interesting thing in the story that, that Peggy wrote where you said you just lost your dad. And I assume you meant because it's a, a lifetime position, you know, he's, he's going to be doing this the rest of his life. Um, how, how did that make you feel when he was vaulted to an even higher position? Yeah. Cause he'd been in church callings for most of my, my life. And every time it was always temporary, there was, there was a boundary on it or an expectation of, you know, a bishop serves for a certain number of years, a young men's president serves for a certain number of years. And there's, there's loose boundaries about how long this last. Um, I was not particularly happy, not because of my dad's position, but because of the changes for the family for the longest time, uh, one of the things that, that my family was learning was the it's just a phase because I think that was initially what people thought. Um, and we got to flip the script because when it was my dad getting called, you know, he'd given me speeches about, you know, when you change your mind or whatever. And I got to flip the script and be like, so we used to think that this was going to be a temporary thing, that we could be a normal family when your church service is over. But it turns out it's not just a phase. Um, <laughs> they didn't find it particularly funny, but I took humor in it. I think that. <laughs> yeah, it, so, is a big, it is a big commitment and a, what a life change. Yeah. Does your dad have a good sense of humor? Where do he you really get likes puns, which <laughs> I think he, he has a good collection of puns, which you've probably heard him read some from the pulpit. He likes one about raspberries and driveways and some weird idiosyncratic stuff in the English language. But I wouldn't say he has like <laughs> good jokes. <laughs> Very much dad humor. Spoken like a true son. <laughs> Sorry. <no. laughs> so how does it, how does it feel to have to cope with, um, this relationship sort of in public you, you you spoke to it a little bit um but just speak like more how does it feel to you to have to be in the public all the time so uh i didn't have to be in the public i knew people would talk about me regardless of whether i was visible or not like that's not something i get to choose but i i made a conscious effort and conscious decision to be more public with my story um, and so I, I had to grapple with that for a while. So I used to write um, birthday letters, which was started by the tradition of coming out, but really just became like a, a way of me processing what had happened throughout the year. And I used to write them and release them to friends. But when my dad was called, I stopped doing that for a little while because I didn't 
know what to write. I didn't know how to talk about it. And mostly I just like didn't want people to read fairly private stuff about my family and, and, uh, like think that they understood more about the situation than was actually there. And so there's a two year gap in my, my writing there. Um, and during that time I was coming to terms with, well, this is a public relationship as much as I dislike that there is an opportunity here to talk about queerness in the church and kind of reframe it from my perspective and be able to, uh, engage in those discussions and have, uh, attention on it, which is the weirdest thing to me. Cause that's like the last thing I'd ever want. Um, so for me, it's not, and not now, uh, a thing that I, I worry about cause I, I choose to be public about my story. I choose to talk about these things. Um, there is a balance where talking about family, private family matters and public issues. And so I have a lot of conversations with my family about, so what do you, how do you feel about the stuff that I'm talking about? How do you feel about the things that we're doing? So if I release a piece of writing or I, uh, talk at a conference or something, I've talked with my family about the content in there um, for a long time before that ever goes public because it's we want to make sure that it's respectful to everybody because it's not just my story. It is my family's story. Um, so speaking of your family, how did your family respond to your boyfriend? Did they let him come to stay with you and when you visit them and all that stuff? Do you think you might get married? Uh, marriage is a complicated subject for another time. Um, but my okay. family responded pretty well. Um, I just kind of, I have a bad habit of kind of mic dropping interesting information and then walking out of the room. Um, so my mom was making plans for Christmas and I was like, by the way, my boyfriend's coming. And, uh, anyway, we should sit next to the table and then it's like walked out of the room. Um, and then came back 20 minutes later to be like, anyway, what did you think of that? Um, <laughs> they reacted pretty normally. Like, I think anytime you meet your kids, romantic partner, gay, straight or whatever, like there's always, just going to be some weird tension. And it didn't feel like anything other than that. Um, it was just kind of like, well, I guess we have to set yet another table and figure out how to do a stocking for a person I know nothing about. So a, a question on, um, uh, the, the gay Mormons have to deal with um, and and the church when it came out with its November 2015 exclusion policy and then how it when it was rescinded. How how did you react to those two different events? Uh, I I was hurt by that when when the policy came out in 2015, I was um, far more active than I am now and was trying to find bridges um, or indications that, you know, the church was becoming a more welcoming and safe place. Um, and so that, that was really harsh because at the time I had really wanted to like get married and like, I don't know if I was going to raise my kids in the church, but it was something that I didn't want them. I wanted them to have the option, even if it wasn't what I would choose for them. Um, and so that, that was hard. And there were a lot of conversations about what that meant for me and the family and how I would feel about that. Um, and it did seem like the church was moving in that direction before it, you know what I mean? Just before the policy, uh, was announced. What about when it was rescinded? Yeah, I know. I agree that it, it had felt like it was becoming more progressive as before the policy was announced. Um, mm -hmm. the, the biggest frustration I have with a lot of the announcements that the church has is they're always, um, they, they, 
they rarely acknowledge the harm that has been caused prior. And so uh, a friend on Facebook described it as you don't get credit for pulling the knife out of someone's back if you're the one who put it there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so when people were looking at the rescinding of the policies, I look, there's evidence that they're like improving again. Um, I was like, no, we just returned to where we were in 2015. And that wasn't even a great spot. Yeah. What's your hope for the church now? I think that there is so much potential in the organization and the members and the doctrine to be a powerful force for acceptance and love and inclusion and people being human in like all the best ways. Um, I think the church has these like incredibly wonderful bones that it uh, sometimes forgets it has where we talk about like family as the center and in queer culture, family is also very much the center of community, but it means something different. It's not the people you are, the family you're born with, it's who showed up for you, the people who love you, the people who you claim as family because they've demonstrated by action and word and deed that they are your family. And I, I think that still exists in the church and like the queer, the queer notion of family is something so powerful that if we could get the church to finally, um, stop posturing and start being what it claims it is to, to love and to accept and to, to show up for its members, that there's something really powerful there. I, I hope that it figures it out mostly for the queer youth who are still in there, who are trying to figure out how do I live here and how do I make it work? Cause it isn't an easy place to be, but I don't think it's unique to queerness. Speaking of that, what's your advice to young, young gay Mormons uh, about these conflicts? I think you go where you're loved and I think you have to honor and respect that it's going to be complicated and tough. Um, If you're angry, be angry. If you're sad, be sad. If you find joy and happiness somewhere, then that's a place that, you know, you find joy and happiness trying to, give prescriptive advice one way or the other about how you ought to act, I think is does a disservice to everybody because they are free to choose their own path. And it's really scary to claim that and to, to step up and say, this is who I am and this is what I want in life and go after it. I think you look for the people who are going to show up for you. I think you look for your family. I think you look for when I say family, my queer family, the people who demonstrate that they are family to you. And I think it's okay to give up on people and it's also okay to change your mind. Um, when I first came out, I didn't know how my family was going to react. And so I, I'd written them off before I even gave them a chance. Um, I had a brother who'd said homophobic things. I had you know, grown up in a very orthodox family. And before I came out, I had to get, a, get comfortable with the idea that I might lose my family. And I love them. I care about them and I know they care about me. And so I let go of them. And then realized that they had shown up for me, demonstrated through word and act and do that they were family. And that queer notion of we are family because we choose to be is really what preserved that relationship. And they made mistakes and I made mistakes. And sometimes a little bit of grace goes a long way. So, Matt, where are you now spiritually? How, how do you feel? Where do you feel like you're now spiritually in your journey of life? Uh, I would claim the millennial spiritual, but not religious. Um, I I find 
so much of my spirituality is built out of what I was raised with. Um, my beliefs in sort of human dignity and human worth are very much in line with church teachings that everyone has like infinite potential and that everybody is worth uh, saving regardless of how anyone else might feel about that. Um, in terms of like specific doctrines, I kind of let things go a long time ago, but I, I find sort of the principles of the church of love and forgiveness and hard work and diligence, like those principles have stuck with me. Uh, and the other stuff feels like window dressing. Well, Matthew gone. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. We appreciate it. And stay safe. Okay. Will do. Trying to stay sane too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And thanks to Peggy Fletcher stack. Always a pleasure. And to our producer, Chris Samuels, we remind our listeners that they can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to our free weekly newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com to sign up and we'll talk again next time on Mormonland. Land.